from playing 18 to a full 60. Early leads to buzzer beaters. It all starts by getting on the board. Welcome inside episode 44 of On the Board. I'm Colby McKee. Out there in the universe, Lance Dahl is Hello. there. Good day to you, sir. How, How you doing? Good, yeah. Doing good. Are you still on the couch tonight? Well, you can't really go much further. <laughs> I don't know if you know this, Colby, but we're in quarantine. Everyone's we sure are, on. absolutely. Um, also in the universe, Corey Bacoskis, are you there? Hey, hey, how's it going? Hey, man, are you down in the basement like I am again? Yeah, yeah, we're all just chilling. We're all just That's chilling. We, this in, is in a week start. three of our, of our quarantine episodes. I uh, hope everyone is safe out there. Uh, appreciate you downloading, uh, especially the uh, the Kapokoskis interview we did last week. That was a blast. Hopefully, we'll have him on uh, sometime in the near future. But for today's episode, we're talking drafts because the last week across uh, both the WHL and the NFL, they're holding their uh, their entry drafts. And uh, we'll start on Wednesday. The Tigers uh, were part of the WHL Bantam draft, which was done online, uh, considering the circumstances. And I guess we'll start with the first overall pick for the first time in the WHL's history. Uh, they have an exceptional status player, and uh, that young man is Connor Bedard. He goes first overall to the Regina Pats. Um, quite simply, the kid's going to be a stud, and uh, I think the Pats got themselves a good one at the first overall pick. Yeah, I think we're uh, we're seeing a lot more in this uh, this kind of generation. Um, these 13 and 14 year olds that can really just compete. Um, with these, you know, 14, 15, 16 year olds. So, you know, I think this is going to be, you know, kind of a continuation, um, you know, with Shane Wright last year. Um, there's going to be more of this to come, I think. I think it's just going to be player after player, um, year after year. There's going to be exceptional statuses across those three leagues. Well, this was the first one the dub got, right? Yeah. Yeah. So <laughs> maybe, maybe you see more down the road. I don't know. But yeah, it's a, it's it's pretty good when you have the first overall pick and a kid gets exceptional status. That makes your uh, makes your job pretty easy. <laughs> yeah, let's go. It's enough to work no. too hard on that one. Uh, he had uh, 84 points in 36 games uh, for I believe he's out of uh, the BC region. Is that correct? Yeah, from uh, the West Van Academy. The West Van Academy. So um, yeah, so not too much to uh, complain with there with the first overall pick. In terms of the Tiger selections, they started it off with the 11th overall pick. And uh, they selected Reed Andreessen, defenseman um, out of Saskatoon. He put up 51 points in 31 games, uh, third in team scoring. So a nice little addition to the back end. And uh, I guess uh, as you kind of projected a little bit early, obviously as a 15-year-old, but uh, I, I personally see a little bit of, of David Quenville in him, at least in terms of his size, um, his point totals, uh, just from everything that I've been reading and seeing. What do you guys think about uh, Andreessen? Yeah, um, I think he's. Uh, I mean, I mean, it's pretty similar to uh, Quinville. I think Quinville didn't have as much of a of a defensive game that uh, Anderson's gonna as said that he's gonna have, but um, definitely the offensive touch. Um, Reed has definitely said that he he can quarterback a power play, which is something that Quinville's definitely done. Um, yeah, I mean, he a little bit off the 
board for the the medicine hat tigers i was doing a little bit of research before the draft um draft geek didn't have them ranked in the first round and the dub network had them as an honorable mention outside of the the 22 so um, definitely a little bit off the board for the tigers but i mean you, you can never quite be sure with uh with 14 well, that's the thing with like every like outside of like the Connor bedard pick it's like everyone can kind of be you know dissected and and you can argue multiple people to go in any one of these spots but it it is kind of interesting that because I noticed the same thing too that like in the mock first rounds that other resources that were doing for uh, for this Bantam draft like Anderson wasn't really uh, on any of them for the first round so it's like you said Corey kind of a surprise I, I part of it might be the Tigers assessing a need and seeing uh, I guess p- a potential hole down the road that they want to fill immediately because I mean they the, the first couple rounds were were more defensemen than than I anticipated I thought there'd be uh maybe a little bit more of a forward leaning bias but they uh th- they definitely went hard at defensemen early in the in the draft and so if you go by that plan and I mean what Bobby Fox had said about uh Anderson's play it, uh in line with the, with a first round pick so we'll, I guess just wait and see what happens but like he said it's, it's just so hard because I mean at that age you never really know what they're going to grow into right like size wise it's kind of a coin flip so you, you you can look at certain things like their parents and siblings, but at the end of the day, you just never know. So um, in, in any case, it's his point totals are good. So uh, that, that's one step in the right direction for, uh, for, for Reed Andreessen. The size thing. Um, I think he, he might be able to, uh, to definitely grow into that. And, you know, I think picking a defense in the first round was, was big because obviously wise last year, um, and, and Caden Glover in the second round, we we definitely wanted some some defensemen to to come mm-hmm. up with that group. Um, I mean, we've had in the past two years eleven picks in the past two years uh, of the th- like the first three rounds of the past two years yeah. eleven picks. Um, so I th- I think we definitely have a big core coming up in the next you know two three four five years. Absolutely, and I think kind of to Lance's point, like because these kids are so hard to project at this age. We'll look back at this draft in in three, four years' time, and then we'll kind of figure out uh, where these players were hit, where we missed, and and going down the line in that sense. So, again, it's very early to project. However, like you said, the the point totals are there, and uh, hopefully he can develop and mature into the the player that the the brass – think he can be with the 11th overall selection you mentioned defenseman and another defenseman was selected in the second round a local kid out of the bantam triple a tigers josh van mulligan uh put up 27 points in 31 games uh he had a little bit more size to the defensive core already six foot and uh, a shade over 170 pounds he could be a big boy there in the back end yeah we were just uh, talking about andres and i mean you want to give him a guy on his right side that can let him go and do anything huge already at 14 years old obviously the six feet 170 pounds he's gonna he's gonna grow into a, a cole clayton size i think um and 90 91 penalty minutes in the uh AMBHL this year just an absolute menace i'm guessing um and uh, also the uh, the top defenseman in, in the Bantam um, Alberta League this year, which is is quite the honor for a yeah, Madison Hack. Huge. And, 
That's and a captain huge. too. I mean, like yeah. the the SEAC program here has been kind of building, and so it'll be an interesting transition for for Van Mulligan because I mean, obviously with his kid coaching Bantam AAA's in Braden Desjardins, uh, that being Willie's kid, and so I mean the the connections there and. Obviously, Willie's son, Braden, would know him very well and uh, and kind of can project to Willie what he's seen. I'm sure Willie's uh, seen a lot of Josh Van Mulligan, so probably had uh, a little bit more of a lean towards him. So uh, I, I like this pick a lot, honestly. As a, as a kid in Bantam AAA to be six foot 170, I mean, like like you said, Corey, like that can project into like a Cole Clayton size. I mean, that can even, depending on, on how his skating is and progresses throughout his his later teens i mean you can almost put skating wise into a guy like trevor longo who could move pretty well when he was on the tigers for his size so it would be like the, I, I really like this pick just as like he has tools now and you can see how i mean at his age there, there's going to be room for him to grow physically but also kind of grow into himself and be a big producer um on this Tigers team. I, I love the pick. So, I mean, you can almost see the, the Baker Clayton combination that works so well yeah. this year in these two. I mean, these guys are, they can grow together. Obviously it's, it's still up in the air, whether rookie camp's going to happen this year, but you know, get them um, on a pairing and in, in, as much as you can in these first, you know, year or two, and then see what they can do as 16 or 17 year olds. Absolutely. You mentioned Corey, the 11 draft picks, uh, within the first three rounds in the last two drafts. Uh, this year, we had three third-round picks as a result of some multiple trades we've done throughout the year. Uh, the first one we used on our third-rounder was a forward, uh, actually a former teammate of Van Mulligan here in the hat, Shane Smith, out of the uh, Edge School Bantam Prep. 43 points in 30 games. Uh, kind of a dynamic forward, in a sense. So was, I, I like to pick, uh, you know, pairing with the two defensive guys, Getting a forward there in the round three is a good way to start it off. Yeah, and I think uh, I think he was a captain this year for um, that Edge Bantam Prep team. But uh, yeah, twenty three goals. That's that's you know that's nothing to be upset about. It's uh, you know we'll see what he can do. What what path he's going to go on in midget if he's going to stay in the CSSHL or maybe go to the the AMHL but um, somebody that, that definitely has the potential to be a Tiger and like that edge old. program I mean I don't know because with those programs I mean there's there's turnover each and every year but you you get like the underlying qualities uh, of the program itself like the the dedication and commitment to the game and playing the right way and I know I, I when I was living in Calgary, saw a little bit of, of edge school games and the, they always played the right way and work ethic was always there. It didn't matter what the score was and didn't matter what was happening. I mean, it was uh, constant rolling of lines and nothing but grinding teams down. So that kind of mirrors a similar style that the Tigers play uh, under Willie. So I, I think for, for Smith, it's going to be a, a bit of an easier transition for him to come into rookie camp if that happens or just getting acclimated with the organization and, and can be a guy that can step in, like you said, Corey, and uh, could, could definitely start seeing minutes uh, in a 16-year-old year. Another pick there uh, in round three, the second pick. Uh, they took another forward, Walker Gelbert, out of West Vancouver. Uh, the young man picked up 36 points in 24 games. Uh, more of an assist man, statistically, not so many in the goals. Uh, but one of the funny points, actually, was that we used Vancouver's pick uh, that we acquired to select a Vancouver-born player. So uh, taking the fun out of uh, Vancouver's pick there with Walker Gelbert. Nice little addition, though. 
Yeah, and uh, I mean, this might be something. This might be. I might be completely way off, but uh, he's from that West Van program. He got two games with uh, the, the midget team, the CSSHL team, and then obviously last year he played on that same Bantam prep team that Connor Bedard did. So uh, uh-huh. I mean, I think you. Obviously, I'm not sure, but if you're if you're a walker, you see um, this this beast of a hockey player, Connor Bedard. You know what he's he's capable of. I, I'm guessing it's probably really easy to look at a player like that and think, okay, that's where I got to be, and probably you know just work as hard as you can to to know know exactly what level yeah, you like got to get. Especially in those programs, like when because for the average kid, like maybe you don't interpret it that way if you're um, not into one of those you know, specific programs that are, you know, you're, you're eat, sleeping and breathing hockey. Some of those kids might not interpret it that way. It's they might almost be intimidated by seeing a player like Bedard and being like, well, okay, like this kid's here, like, what am I going to do? But when you have different kids, like it's almost just like a different group that goes into these programs like West van that have a right mentality to be in the program and to develop with the other kids that they're playing with. And so, like like you said like to to have someone that comes out of the same kind of area the same group and can you know see what really good players look like uh it takes a little bit of potential t- intimidation away from him down the road knowing well you know I, i've i've seen how connor bedard plays like you know i i know what i can do to kind of play up to that level and so he can just take those concepts and skill sets and transfer them into a in the whl Final pick there in the third round. We went back to the defenseman well, and uh, we picked Blake Ekron Bratton out of Corey's favorite place in Saskatchewan. Yeah, this was uh, this kid actually gave me a heart attack on, <laughs> on draft day. Um, I was doing up the graphics, um, and uh, for his elite prospects page for Blake Ekron Bratton, which I usually go to after the draft just to see if there's any additional information, um, there was nothing, but then I found another elite prospects that, that had Blake Bratton and I was like okay should I go with this should I go with this information it had more information and I finally went with it I realized the two were related after I did all the graphics but <laughs> man, I, my heart was racing because it had Porcupine playing on uh, on the Blake Bratton one but I was like oh, I can't confirm that this is the same guy but anyway I was able to later um, he seems like a uh, more of a Josh Van Mulligan type I think obviously some pointing up some points in that uh, Saskatchewan league um, seems like a, a not a bad pick for the for the third round. A little bit off the board, maybe because I don't think I've ever heard of Porcupine playing Lake before, or Porcupine Saskatchewan before. <laughs> but um, you, you know, I'm excited to see what yeah, he can do. Yeah, I mean, next couple of years if here. he was getting some run in midget uh, trips as well, that's uh, not a bad look. Clearly, someone that they feel can you know step into a role where he's playing against kids a, l- a little bit older than a little bit bigger. And uh, and still play competitively, so that's uh, always a feather in caps for players um, when they're kind of coming up. I mean, that makes uh, again, like I was saying with with Walker Galbert, it just makes the the transition a little bit easier to go into WHL camps. Because I mean, yeah, it's still not easy being uh, one of the youngest people when you're playing against you know eighteen, nineteen, or you're seeing eighteen, nineteen, twenty year olds. But at least you, in Ekron Bratton's case, has a little bit of experience playing as a younger player and can use that. I, I guess as a reference point for for how to uh, to how to play in the dub. 
Sorry, I found my stat that made me think that he was similar to Josh Van Mulligan. Um, 103 penalty minutes awesome. as a first-year Bantam, uh, or 105, sorry, 107 <laughs> as a second-year. So he likes to he likes to mess around a little bit too. Also, playoffs, two games in the playoffs, 21 minutes in penalty minutes. So oh, you know boy. he's probably That's he's probably awesome. getting a dime. That's what they need, though. That's what the, the, the Tigers <laughs> need a guy like that that will just like hammer somebody out. Mm-hmm. For for say like for even just looking at a star player wrong like well yeah you see the the success they've had with Parker Gavlis this year I mean just a, mm-hmm. kind of a, a random pickup as a twenty year old at the start of the season he proved to be one of the top defensemen on the team overall the uh, the team selected twelve players in this year's draft five defensemen six forwards one single goalie uh, I believe is taken from the Airdrie Extreme overall though five of the first sixty one picks in this year's draft nice to be able to retool like that and. Uh, like you mentioned, Corey, kind of build this core for many years to come with uh, both defensemen and forwards coming up the pipe. Yeah, they, uh, they're they going to be real exciting in three years here. And, you know, it, it's going to be really interesting to see what happens with Sillinger when he hits 18 um, and 19 years old, whether we get him back for his 19-year-old season, um, because these are the guys that are going to be coming in as 16, 17. And if you can get Sillinger as your, as your top guy with these guys coming in with depth scoring, I mean, you know, look out. There could be another, uh, a little bit of a WHL championship. Yeah, there's, there's a lot there. of depth. I mean... Like I was saying, like I was, I was pretty surprised, but in a good way to see how the draft kind of shook out for the Tigers this year. I like that they took a lot of picks. I, I, I don't fully understand or love when teams pass. I, I don't know if I sent a picture to you guys or not, but it was like I, I somehow ended up scrolling way deep into the draft by accident, like before it even happened. It was in like the sixth or seventh round that I was in, and Everett had already said they were passing. I was like, "Bruh, like it's round three. Like just wait. Like <laughs> maybe change your mind." Yeah. Okay. No, I heard a I heard a rumor that they had to pass on that pick because um, they didn't have enough sixteen year old games played. I guess they didn't run their sixteen year olds <laughs> enough, so they had to forfeit a draft before. <laughs> They're like, "Yeah, we'll take these fourths and, and a well, couple I, later ones." But that's nah, what I was saying. We, I was like, "I'm so like confused. Like, what the are they doing?" <laughs> They're just like, "Nah, we're we're gonna schedule a break yeah. in and around here. We're gonna get some." Get some food and just relax. Yeah, yeah we got a twenty-minute smoke break. Yeah, what else you like, have to what do? What are you doing here? That makes more sense though. But uh, but there was even like there was a lot of local flavor. I mean, with Josh Van Mulligan, but there was that Dawson Sites kid too. Uh, he went got drafted to Edmonton, so that was cool. I, that was uh, kind of surprising. I think what he he had played seven games this year. Yeah, so that's a pretty good. And uh, Geno seven times though. I think he had a uh, yeah he had a a big. Um, first year Bantam year where I think he was over point per game with with the Medicine Hat team. Um, so I think Edmonton was just kind of taking a flyer in that first round. He could prove to be one of the best players. Yeah, he had 23 goals um, as a first year Bantam with the SEAC team. Um, you know, late first round, I think Edmonton's just thinking, you know, this guy could be a top 10 player in the draft. Yeah. Or he could yeah, not that's, be. Like, I, I thought that was pretty cool though to see uh, um, a handful of kids that had played uh, in the community like, like Shane Smith or or kids that are from the community getting drafted. That, that's huge for for the city and for, and for minor hockey here and for for SEAC. Like, and that's even that's a big tip of the cap for for Braden Desjardins to have you know some of his players getting drafted in his, in his first year as the Bantam AAA coach. That's a that, that's a tough thing to do for uh, a community here in Medicine Hat that admittedly hasn't had a lot of kids getting drafted recently. So that's great. Another one shout out. You mentioned all the local flavor.
Unger, Cole Unger, was the other third Tiger from that uh, Bantam AAA team to get drafted by the Tigers in the 10th round. So got uh, two local guys uh, looking to make the team in uh, in future years. Uh, anything else you want to wrap this uh, WHL side of things up, gentlemen? Not really. I mean, I think I was a little surprised that we took a goalie pretty late. But, uh, you know, it seems as though Garen, um, he's only got a few more years left with the Tigers. And, and it's kind of in question what's going to be happening when this, this core group comes up and who's going to be in net for that. But I think overall, I mean, we addressed a need, which was which was the, the blue line. And uh, we got a lot of a lot of crucial depth um, up front and some local flavor, too. Yeah, it wouldn't I'm surprise me, too, to drafted. see some, uh, some local kids get invited to camps uh, a la Curtis Walk when, when he was playing uh, Bantam AAA here. That, that seems to be Willie's thing is to invite boatloads of local kids to, to training camps every year and um, which is just a, a great opportunity to kind of build from within our community and so so for like anyone who didn't get drafted it's like I, I mean you're probably going to be getting a call from the Tigers at some point they're probably going to probably going to want you to come to a camp which is, uh, <laughs> which is really cool that Willie does that so yeah uh, no, I thought I thought it was a pretty darn good draft, uh, top to bottom, for the Tigers this year. We we do have our answer uh, for goaltending after Bjorklund. I'm not sure if you forgot, Corey, but uh, our boy Beckett <laughs> Lankow is waiting the in the wings. No. Don't care. I so, know. Uh, we haven't signed him though yet. We haven't signed him yet. I mean, if we don't sign him, some NHL team is gonna. Yeah, so, like, like true. Somebody needs do a quick. to like actually Hopefully. call Beckett right now and and offer him a contract. Hey, maybe if uh, maybe we can get him on the pod or something. He's he's theoretically nobody's. Uh, property, I don't want to advertise so him to other teams. We can go after other him. people. Want to sell him? I want I want Beckett to be our well kept yeah, secret. That's not really a secret True. anymore. Yeah. Uh, we'll switch things yeah. over to the NFL side of things. They held their uh, their draft. Usually, is the the glitz and the glamour, the red carpet, and all the fans cheering uh, out there in New York. However, with everything going on, it was held in Roger Goodell's basement. And uh, I'm not sure if you guys saw it, but when he did his little tour uh, in the morning there on Thursday of his little setup with all the ESPN cameras and his big leather chair, um, I thought this is actually pretty cool that you get to see the kind of inside um, scoop on all the processes of how this draft was going to go down. Um, any thoughts about, you know, the, the cameras and the obviously small technical glitches, which are bound to happen, but uh, any thoughts on, on how this draft I ended up as well going gone, for the I NFL? I mean, I don't know what more they could have done, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, didn't didn't they have the what was the original plan if none of this happened? Didn't they have something where there's yeah. they're gonna have like boats <laughs> taking players out to the draft right. stage or something like that? I did like, hear that. Just yeah, had ridiculous was, ideas the before this all happened, and, and then they had to be in the fountain, <laughs> throw it all away. People from like the fucking yeah. walkway out into the middle of the fountains. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Bro, so this was oh, a man, close I, second. I hope they that plan because I want to <laughs> exactly. see that. That draft is going to take thirty hours to get through the first round. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, oh, it was amazing. Um, in terms of the actual players taken, Cincinnati Bengals were on the clock with the number one pick, and uh, they go with their their superstar quarterback, hopefully in Joe Burrow out of LSU. Um, is he the guy to be the face of the franchise? I know, like, basically outside of Carson Palmer back in like the mid 2000s they haven't really had a quarterback 
to to rival anybody in the uh, in the AFC North? Is, is Burrow going to be the guy to help them? I mean, he's going to lead to some, some success. I, I mean, who, who knows, right? I mean, you see so. a guy, for example, like Baker Mayfield come in and have like moderate success. I mean, success in Cleveland compared to what they had. So, like, take that for what it's worth. But the like the last few years in Cincy haven't been much better than those bad years of Cleveland. Granted, the Cleveland years were a hell of a lot longer. So, I mean, like, I think Burrow is going to come in and obviously elevate the team at least a little bit. But, I mean, when you're when you're picking first overall, your team sucks. I think so, like, <laughs> there's obviously things that you need to work yeah. out past getting a quarterback, but that's obviously a, a huge help to the team, no doubt. I think uh, he's got that swagger, though. So even, you know, what what he does on the field or off the field, I think he's going to bring a lot of attention. And he's got he's definitely got that confidence as the number one quarterback. And I think it's going to be interesting to see that um, that battle of Ohio between him and, and Mayfield. They're going to it's just going to be <laughs> yeah. which one has a louder mouth. Very true. I um, I have a buddy who is a lifelong uh, Bengals fan. His name's Kyle Kazema. And I had to reach out to Kyle to, uh, to see what his thoughts were on bro and he messaged me back and Why? he said he is i've never Oof. heard of anybody being a Bengals fan but um, i went to college with him and he said he's super excited about bro he actually already bought his jersey and uh he says that when you look at a guy who had arguably the best college single season ever and he's from ohio it's hard not to be pumped and like Corey mentioned he likes his attitude too a little bit of swagger uh, goes a long way uh and towards being a quarterback and being confident in your skills so uh it's gonna be very interesting to see what happens with burrow they also got t higgins uh wide receiver with the first pick in the second round to add some more talent and speed around burrow but when you look at the receiving core in cincy hopefully uh, aj green comes back healthy but that's a question mark you got tyler boyd there and uh, and a couple other young pieces but uh it's still a work in progress and to compete i mean you know cleveland's going to be what cleveland is and, and baltimore loaded up a little bit more and hopefully big ben is back with pittsburgh to make that division a little bit more competitive but uh, it's gonna be tough sledding for those Bengals to to get back in the playoff yeah. push at yeah, that won't as be, early as next won't year. Be fun times i wouldn't think but like I, i'm excited for the the higgins boyd duo like in, in a couple years down the road i mean i just you just don't know what aj green's gonna be i mean you hope that he you know finds his health and mm-hmm. finds what he was before shit hit the fan so to speak but if you look at the Bengals receiving core without him I mean having Higgins and Boyd on each side is, is a pretty good start and I mean Boyd could also fall into the slot in some packages so they, they're, they're going to have options um, for, for different schemes that they can set up even in Burrow's first year so that, that would be one of the bigger exciting points for me is to see how this kind of offense shapes around uh, those two picks that they had in the uh, first two rounds this year. Do they do they have a quarterback that's going to be able to kind of um, you know ease him into it? Somebody that they can throw out there, yeah, or you, is he you're going to go in. get in the reins day one? Absolutely not. <laughs> yeah. No. Boy, that's tough though. That's tough though for for young quarterbacks though. Hey, like uh-huh. that's like to play every single game in an NFL in an NFL season. That's. That's tough. That's that's like putting a, a goalie in there at, at like 19 years old in the NHL. Like it's just you got to kind of ease him into it. Well, Unless you're a scar off. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, he he's gonna be. I mean, 
You just wait. You just wait for this NFL draft. Or this NFL draft. It's going to be exciting. Exactly. Uh, number two pick went to the Washington Redskins. They took arguably the top prospect in the draft in Chase Young, defensive end. Uh, he's been compared to Miles Garrett or uh, or Von Miller, just an absolute terror on the corner, getting after those old linemen. Uh, one of the bigger things with those Redskins is they traded uh, their disgruntled left tackle Trent Williams to San Francisco for basically a bag of peanuts uh, from what they were asking for midseason. They were asking for a third-round pick, arguably a second-round pick. They weren't budging on that, but then they traded him for like a fifth and a conditional third next year's draft. So um, another kind of major shakeup there in Washington land, but they get their guy uh, to kind of help build the defense around. San Francisco, isn't it? (laughs) Like, good God. Like, Trent Williams (laughs) is probably one of, if not the best left tackle in football. And so then, like, you just bring him into that offense that can run the hell out of people. It's just, oh, that that trade was so good for for the Niners. But, uh, no, like, there's no denying the the skill set that that Chase Young has. And, I mean, uh, kind of to Corey's point, when you're throwing a first-year quarterback in and playing him consistent reps, that's that's tough. But, like, a first-year defensive end can can go in and succeed pretty darn quickly. So that's probably going to be the M.O. for for Chase Young. I think as soon as he gets into games, you're going to start seeing him dominating offensive lines. And uh, and racking up a, a lot of a lot of contact on quarterbacks this season. Is there wasn't there? Is it the 49ers? There's been a team that's just been absolutely racking up the the NFL trades recently. It could be <laughs> off, but I feel like it's been the same team that's been making a trade for the past like week and a half. Uh, yeah, they're in there. The Dolphins have made a couple trades. Um, that's about it. Is all I could think of off the top of my head. <laughs> it might be going crazy. Or just seeing the same trade. trade. Oh, <laughs> anyway. <laughs> <laughs> um, that would suck. <laughs> Detroit Lions were up third, and they uh, they got their corner back to fill uh, Darius Slay's spot in uh, Jeff Okuda out of Ohio State. Uh, he was the first cornerback taken in the first three picks of an NFL draft since 1997. So it's been uh, quite a while since a cornerback's been taken in the top three. Apparently very good, good size, and uh, a guy that can basically cover in all situations going to be a number one uh, wide-out stopper. Yeah, that's a tough uh, Probably one, very man. early that, in his career. There's a reason why there hasn't been a corner that's gone in the top three since 97 like that there's a reason for that it's it's a hard position to play it's kind of like taking a goalie early in the nhl like it's just it's so hard to know how they're going to react in the the next level and so it's like i get they needed to to fill the spot that slay left but uh, you almost think that that's a that's a pick that was filling a need more than a pick that was based off of the best available player yeah because I'd, I'd imagine trying to to stop a, a college wide receiver and some of the top <laughs> yeah. nfl wide receivers might be a little bit of a different experience a little bit potentially um yeah we'll, we'll see how that shakes out you're right lance it could be uh it could be a little bit of a mistaken pick there we'll have to wait and see on that one uh offensive tackle though andrew thomas goes fourth to the new york giants and according to many including the you know the mel kuyper big board he was arguably the fourth best offensive lineman 
coming into the draft, but he becomes the fourth overall pick. A little bit of a, an off-the-board pick for Thomas, but I guess um, just due to his gargantuan size, uh, the Giants figured out a way to, you know, run block, especially well with Saquon Barkley, but hopefully that he can develop into a, a much better pass yeah, protector I mean, maybe uh, for they, Daniel maybe Jones. they read the board wrong and thought that he was like the fourth best player, not the fourth best alignment. But I mean, I mean, <laughs> yeah. I, uh, each team, like when you go into positions, I mean, each team's going to have their own their own board. So I would assume that Thomas just fell at the top of, of the Giants board. And I, I think taking anyone uh, on either the O line or the D line, uh, once you get out of like those top superstar picks, like the the first overalls and the second overalls, once you kind of get in like from three to ten, if you're picking linemen on either side, uh, you're probably in a safe bet nor- normally. Yeah, and I think just addressing a need, um, like you were saying, what you guys have been kind of saying recently in, in the past couple of picks here, I mean, um, obviously the, the quarterback that they got, uh, what was that, last year, um, to get to get an offensive uh, line in front of him, you know, that's, yeah, that's going to be beneficial that, to, sure. to his growth over the next couple of years. Uh, the Dolphins finally got a quarterback to uh, replace the carousel that's been going on there. They get Tua, Tua Tego Viola at number five, uh, the star from Alabama. Alabama, who uh, he definitely has star qualities, but there is the obvious injury concern uh, with ankles and knees, and most notably the the hip injury that took him out for the rest of the uh, college season here this year. Uh, right pick, though, at number five, is it the quarterback? I know that we'll get to number six in the quarterback that the Chargers took, but uh, is Tua the man in, the in Miami? Messes up, right? I love Tua, though. I really think like he, if he wasn't going to get hurt this year, he could yeah. arguably have gone toe-to-toe yeah, with Joe Burrow for the number one pick. Yeah. Oh, man, it's like when R.J. Barrett went to the Knicks. I just like I kind of feel bad for Tua. I just find that Miami's <laughs> gonna find a way to fuck this up. You feel bad? I sure as hell hope not. But I don't know. I mean, I, I can it's see why you'd say that God. though. Yeah, I, the, obviously the injury concerns. <laughs> I mean, he might very well mess it up for himself. Mm-hmm. Um, this, this isn't exactly the the, the kindest That's league true. for for injuries and protecting them. Very true. Hopefully, hopefully Tua is okay. And uh, whenever they start training camp here. Uh, regardless of the situation, he's uh, he's going to get a chance at the starting job, and uh, hopefully, he becomes a star in the making. The Chargers, like we mentioned, had the number six pick. Gone is Philip Rivers. In is Justin Herbert out of Oregon. Uh, I didn't even realize this, but they have Tyrod Taylor on the roster, and uh, I don't even remember that signing or that trade going down. But I guess the the plan there in Chargers line is to have Tyrod play for at least this year, maybe even next year, and uh, Herbert's going to become a project. I mean, Tyrod- for the Chargers in a couple years time. Though. He's he's one of those guys that that has never been like no one's ever said that they didn't like Tyrod Taylor. Like I, I've never heard it. I think he's one of those guys that is is the quote unquote consummate professional that can help grow prospects. And I know there's a lot of hype around uh, Justin Herbert, so I think the Chargers did did real well uh, at number six with their pick uh, out of Oregon for sure. Yeah, Tyrod was the apparently the backup for for Philip Rivers last year. Uh, signed a two year deal, so he's on the second uh, second half of his his his. Uh, his contract this year, I think they could uh, okay. maybe go back and forth a little bit. And he's, I think Tyrod's definitely a guy that can um, take the QB reins and at least be, you know, somewhat, somewhat average. Exactly. I mean, in his time with Buffalo, he was uh, serviceable. 
he was okay. He had his bright moments, uh, but then you get to a point with him where he just doesn't have the capabilities to be, uh, you know, the straight fire passing quarterback that you need, or, you know, he gets his head wrung in by a New England Patriot linebacker. Like, it's just going to happen. So, I mean, it's a good protection, albeit, and uh, hopefully at number six, you're not waiting too long for Herbert to get into action and and show what he's got. Um, in terms of more skill positions, we'll go to the wide receivers quickly. Um, for the, the first year Las Vegas Raiders. They arguably get the fastest wide receiver in the draft at number 12 uh, in Henry Ruggs out of Alabama. He goes ahead of uh, C.D. Lamb and his teammate Jerry Judy, also of Alabama. Uh, Henry Ruggs, though, this is, I guess, the second wide receiver in my mind that the Raiders have taken just based, like, I know Ruggs is obviously very talented and probably more talented than, uh, oh my goodness, the, the, the guy they drafted in 07, total speedster. Um, he, I'm blanking him right now, but I, it seems to me that the Raiders draft just to kind of beat the the rest of the teams in their division, including the Chiefs and uh, and the Broncos and whatnot, which is getting high end speed guys to just outrun yeah, their corners. I guess I, I mean, like out of the wide receiver group, like I I really liked uh, Jerry Judy, so I was kind of surprised that that Rugs had gone before him. I think Judy's more of the all around wide receiver than than Rugs is, but. I mean, speed kills in this game. And so for the Raiders, if you're going to be lining up against uh, the Chiefs or uh, you're going to be facing uh, more speed and you've been getting beat by speed, I mean, I guess you might as well bring in some of your own. It's it's uh-huh. like every professional league and where you see something that works and you want to mimic it. And if that happens to be speed, um, then I guess go get the fastest person you can. Yeah, no, I think that's a, a pretty good uh, idea. Um, get what Whoever, you know, whoever's trying to beat you, just find something um, to match them and beat them. I mean, you know, you see teams in the Pacific Conference, they're having to adapt for what Connor McDavid and, and Leon Dreisel are going to be over the next decade. Um, it's going to be, you know, you, you got to find ways to, to beat your, your opposition. Uh, I do have to uh, correct myself. It was 2009 that I was thinking of, and it was Darius oh, Hayward yeah. Bay the receiver out of Maryland that went the seventh overall. He was not even on the boards of most people. And uh, he had an amazing combine and and blew the speed, the 40 wide open. And uh, he got himself a a top 10 pick there with Oakland at the time. But uh, uh, we'll get to Judy, I guess, right now. Uh, I agree. I think he's arguably the most talented all around receiver. He goes at 15 to the Denver Broncos. Um, I like pairing him with Cortland Sutton reminds me a lot of uh, the Demarius Thomas, Emmanuel Sanders connection of the last few years of the Denver Broncos, giving uh, quarterback Drew Locke just another option, uh, another speed option yeah, to, uh, to pair there. I, in I don't think high. it'll take long for him to step in and take over as the top wideout on that team. Like Cortland Sutton, I mean, no disrespect, he's been good, but I think he's also been thrust into a lot of situations based off of the other options that have been around. I, I think now Sutton will fall more into a True. spot that he should be in uh, as a as a number two receiver. Sutton can can still kind of work in the slot as well. It, it's kind of similar in in the the scheming and the packaging concept to to Higgins and Boyd in Cincy, where I, I'm going to be curious to see kind of what the offense looks like in Denver now with with Judy as that uh, second wideout option to to see how they kind of work Judy into the mix and um, where they want to put. 
him to to expose opposing defenses. I think Judy's a guy that can do it all. I I think he can play down the slot. If he can play in routes, he can play post routes. I mean, there's really nothing he can't do. So I think the Broncos uh, probably found one of the better picks of the first round uh, getting Judy. Um, I ask you guys this, like, as I just, I don't have the most knowledge on football, but, uh, you know, what's kind of the, uh, at this level, what's the difference between a, a wide receiver and a, and a cornerback in terms of, you know, their skill? Like, is it, is a cornerback basically a wide receiver <laughs> that can't catch? Uh, and, and if so, like, why couldn't you, could you not draft a wide receiver higher? And, and if it just doesn't quite work out, maybe, I mean, you know, turn him into a cornerback. Could, I suppose the, the difference is just, the difference is, is how you that is interpret the game. It's like it's like for it's no different than than essentially. Okay. Uh, since you've been kind of referencing thing to hockey, it, it's like as uh, if you're playing a forward and your role and the way you perceive and and understand concepts of offensive positioning and defensive positioning, uh, like that's just a different look when you're playing a a defenseman role. It's no different in football as you may have a better understanding of what different routes may look like, but your body needs to also be in proper position to understand if you have safety help, if you have uh, linebackers that are going to be coming across, if you're playing cover or if you're playing man and just the, the thinking that goes into it is probably the biggest thing because you're constantly thinking and some of the best corners of all time like Richard Sherman they don't think they just react because they're constantly in the right position right so I guess, yeah there'd be a lot more mental side of the game for the cornerback whereas I feel like the, the wide receivers right gonna, but I mean it's not to say that you couldn't be done ball and keep going. Like, it's not to say that you couldn't turn a wide out <laughs> into a corner it's just yeah. it, it's just that I mean also typically you'd probably have wide outs be a little bit bit taller than corners so i mean there are exceptions again like richard sherman he's a one of the taller corners in the league but typically you have smaller corners so, so that would be a different adjustment i suppose but yeah it's not to say it's impossible or can't be done part of the uh the the draft type about receivers like lance says is uh, it's height, it's wingspan, it's the ability to make the play over top of the corner, whether it's a you know a post in the end zone or uh, it's a you know a flare over the middle. Like just being able to to make those catches and, and make those plays, uh, whether it's speed, height, you know, strength, whatever the case may be. That's kind of how receivers get uh, evaluated in that sense and, and compared to one another. Uh, the final receiver in terms of this kind of stacked first round class was a CD Lamb, and he falls all the way to seventeen. Uh, to the Dallas Cowboys, which is very uh, interesting trio now that uh, you know Dak Prescott gets to work with in terms of Amari Cooper, Michael Gallup, both men who went over a thousand yards receiving last year, and now you pair him with uh, uh, C.D. Lamb, who I mean by all accounts could have been a top ten pick, but he falls to seventeen, and now he's in mean, three excellent receivers alongside Ezekiel Elliott. This Dallas offense, uh, I think that that fell to them, and it's a blessing. It like that was nothing. a fantastic just, pick. You wonder if if that was the pick that they needed to make. I mean, it's just like you, you look at the Cowboys and okay, so you go and get a wide receiver. Do you do you need a third one? Like, Were they having issues on the outside that they, they felt they needed to get Dak more help? Well, maybe you wonder about Amari Cooper's health and the you know the the uh, the future of, of him. I mean, they, they just signed him with a five-year deal, albeit, but uh, the way his season kind of uh, curtailed at the end with all the injuries, maybe you, you, you don't look at Gallup as a number one guy uh, to carry the 
you know, the receiving load and, uh, and, you know, maybe extra help comes that way. I mean, I agree. It's now it's a, an embarrassment of riches in terms of receivers, but, uh, yeah, it's very interesting to see what the, the, the Cowboys like, did their 17, have, but like, like having too much offense isn't a bad thing. And so it's like, they're going to be able to, they're going to be able to mix and match a lot of different, no. um, you know, packages that they see from the defensive side, um, they, they can kind of, if they play the cards right, have the ability to mix and match a lot of the, the schemes that they have as an offense to ex- expose defenses. When you have that many, like you said, when you have that kind of an embarrassment of riches, it uh, gives you a lot of flexibility for sure. Yeah, I got another. You guys got it. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, thank you. you appreciate the, uh, the the insight. Uh, very interesting there at number 26, a little bit further down the draft in the first round, the Packers basically 15 years to the same draft where they drafted Aaron Rodgers to uh, proceed Brett Favre in Green Bay. They they seem to draft Rodgers' replacement in uh, Jordan Love uh, at number 26. He has been compared to a, a poor Patrick Mahomes, and uh, he led the country, unfortunately, with 17 interceptions this year. So that's not the greatest stat you want to have, but lots of time to grow. And uh, I mean, according to all accounts, Rodgers is in no place to retire anytime soon. So you wonder uh, whether, I mean, at the end of this contract of Rodgers, does he play his final days outside of of Green Bay and they go with Jordan Love? Yeah, I would say similar to how Favre and Rodgers went would be my guess. I mean, it clearly worked out when they did it yeah. the first time. I think um, they're hoping lightning strikes twice and that Love can kind of pick Rodgers' brain over the course of, uh, of a handful of years and, and see how Rodgers plays and game plans and almost turn into a Rodgers prototype, so to speak, while still being his own player, obviously. But when you sit and watch one guy for X amount of years, you're going to start um, thinking like he does. And so I, I don't hate the idea. I mean, if you lead the the entire country in picks, you probably shouldn't be a first rounder, but here we are. <laughs> here we are. Yeah, but if, if you read into that comparison, I mean, if he can just grow under Aaron Rodgers and he can, you know, fine tune, you know, find his, who he is as, as a quarterback in, in the NFL and, and really get those years to practice, if he could end up being a Patrick mm-hmm. Mahomes mm-hmm. 2.0, I mean, you would 100% take that. I mean, do you also see Rodgers as a guy that's going to be very, you know, giving and fortunate with his time, his information, you know, to this younger quarterback? Do you see? I don't see him as being, you know, the most endearing to his predecessor in that sense. I think it just inherently people are more likely to try and maybe not right away, but over the course of time, help people along. It's just inherent in in people's nature and in sports. I mean, you need everyone going. And so it's like, I think Aaron Rodgers understands that. I mean, he doesn't have a reputation as being the most caring of people, but I still think that he understands just as well as as anyone else that, you know, say something happens to Rodgers, he's still going to want the Packers to be playing well for when he gets back. And so I've never been one to really think that players aren't going to, you know, share information and help with one another. But I guess it's possible. Uh, Let's wrap up round one with the Chiefs. Uh, They they took the only running back in the first round in uh, Clyde Edwards-Hellier. Apparently a great receiving back. He's a three-down guy, uh, ran behind. I mean, obviously a great 
team in front of him there in LSU. Uh, but it just gives the Chiefs another offensive talent to work with. I mean, obviously some competition with Damian Williams upcoming, but uh, I mean, the, it's another embarrassment of riches. You talked about the Cowboys receivers. The entire offense in general for yeah, the Chiefs uh, has just been uploaded again. That, that's about how that goes. So uh, that's nice to see. Overall, there was five LSU players drafted in round one, and uh, they actually set the SEC record with 13 <laughs> players drafted overall. So just goes to show the kind of dominant team that won them the uh, national championship. That's uh, pretty cool to see. In terms of Canadians, a couple got drafted there uh, on the second day. Wide receiver Chase Claypool went in the second round, 49th overall to the Pittsburgh Steelers. A uh, nice little addition there for Big Ben if he comes back fully healthy. And uh, Juju Smith-Schuster. Also, uh, defensive tackle Neville Gallimore went third round, 82nd overall to the Dallas Cowboys. So a couple yeah, Canadian boys getting drafted. Nothing to complain about good. there. It's a good spot for him, too. I mean, he can go in and uh, compete for a number two spot on that Steelers offense right away. I think that's a, that's a pretty dream spot for Claypool to get drafted in. It was uh, Who was the Canadian uh, that won the, the Super Bowl yeah. last year? That was uh, Tardif, big offensive Tardif, lineman. Tardif, yeah. It was nice to see that uh, Canadians are actually getting into the, the NFL, and there's... Um, was it the 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 tight end for the, the Seahawks a few, a few years ago? I mean, Luke Wilson, yeah, that, that that Canadian flavor down uh, south of the border. Absolutely, Claypool had himself a fantastic combine uh, for his size and uh, and his forty time. He was arguably one of the fastest uh, in the entire wide receiver pool. So that obviously helped him get into the second round pick uh, out of Notre Dame. Another interesting pick there uh, in the second round was Jalen Hurts, quarterback, formerly of Alabama. I believe he was with Oklahoma when he got drafted. Drafted. The Philadelphia Eagles picked him up there in the second round as a backup to uh, their franchise quarterback, Carson Wentz. A lot of people were questioning this pick in terms of, was, again, a more pressing issue to draft someone else in that spot, or is this a good protection plan? Because Carson Wentz, um, outside of, I believe, one season, yeah, uh, is often I mean, injured and cannot finish the season. Probably was more pressing issues. I mean, every team could probably look back at their drafts and say there's more pressing problems that they, they could have addressed. But I, I think, like you said, I mean, Carson Wentz, has had his bouts with finishing a season healthy and so when you get a guy who's used to being in the spotlight I mean anyone in that watches just a little bit of college football knows who Jalen Hurts is and so you get a guy who's used to being in the spotlight and can potentially step in if Wentz goes down I mean that's that, that helps to, to have someone who's comfortable in what could be a, a potentially uncomfortable situation for most and I think uh, teams see what happened with Andrew Luck um you know, I don't mm-hmm. think it hurts too much to have a backup plan just in mm-hmm. case something that the unexpected happens. Nice pun there. That was a really good pun, Corey. <laughs> um, yeah. Also, I mean, they haven't had a, uh, a backup since Nick Foles went to Jacksonville because uh, last year was a little bit suspect once Wentz went down with the, uh, I believe it was a, was it like a, spl- a kidney or a spleen or something? He kind of dealt with something serious, I believe, last year, but maybe it was a shoulder. Anyways, uh, final point, I guess, outside of the draft was uh, the sign today. Jameis Winston is back in the NFL with the New Orleans Saints uh, in a backup role with Drew Brees. So, I guess now, does Winston become one of the better backups to, I mean, uh, to have New Orleans the league if offense, you're in New Orleans? For sure. I, I, don't know, I don't know how much he's going to play because, I mean, they still have Taysom Hill there who plays quarterback, running back, wide receiver, special teams. Water boy. Uh, um, <laughs> the guy plays, like, everything. Yeah, like, there's nothing Taysom Hill can't do. They like... They, they, <laughs> 
put a lot of packages together for Taysom Hill last year to kind of ease Breeze's workload throughout a game. So I don't know if Winston kind of find, kind of finds his way into those plans as well as someone who uh, maybe spells Breeze every now and then. I mean, like I said, he's got the arm to, to fit with the typical New Orleans offense, but I'm not sure how he's going to slot in, but it's it's a good spot for him to go if something happens to Breeze for sure. Yeah, and I mean, at the end of the day, he's a he's a, he's a W eater. I mean, so uh, <laughs> the Saints get a bunch of Ws and he's going to be eating them dubs. Oh, you will for sure. You know, you're going to get those sound bites if, if nothing else. Um, <laughs> I mean, you speak about the uh, the situations that Winston could go in. I, I mean, I also see a lot of, uh, you know, fourth and one positions where, I mean, just Winston's big frame. He's got a big old body on him. Uh, he could, you know, jump in and get a yard on a QB sneak or something like that. And and like you said, maybe some some trick plays that Sean Payton and co. draw up to, to utilize Winston's big arm where, I mean, you haven't seen Breeze really go deep as much as he used to in the past, obviously because he's damn near over 40. Maybe, yeah, maybe you drop some plays for, you know, a deep bomb, a special play here and there where Winston can jump in and, and kind of be a decoy that way. It'd be very interesting to see how the season plays out there for New Orleans and that explosive offense. Uh, that's about wraps it up in terms of uh, draft stuff. Uh, anything else that you no. gentlemen want to, uh, to add to the list? No, there's not. Not much else going on. Fantastic. Well, I'm glad we were able to talk some sports. I mean, we had a, we had a starters episode. We've had an interview uh, in the last couple of weeks, and it was nice to talk some sports with you. Uh, you can look for us on our Facebook page, facebook.com slash on the board. We're on Twitter at on the board pod. And yeah, we'll uh, talk to you next week. For Lance Stahl, Corey Bacoskis, Colby McKee signing off. We'll talk to you next time. Thanks for listening to On The Board. Subscribe now on your favorite podcast platform and find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash on the board podcast. Yes! Yes!